2008, uh, two brothers, teenage brothers by the name of Brett and Alex Harris wrote uh, what would go on to be a New York Times bestselling book. And uh, I hadn't been an adult pastor for too many years at that point. I had mostly been a youth pastor. And so I wanted to hear what these teenagers had to say. So I went and I bought the book and I was a new father at the time. My son had only been alive for a couple years. My firstborn was only two at the time. And, and I read this book and the book was called this. It was called Do Hard Things. And then it was subtitled this, A Teenage Rebellion Against Low Expectations. It was a pretty good book. It was uh, definitely worth the read. Uh, I could hardly tell you anything all these years later. You guys know how that goes from the book that I read. But the phrase, the title of the book was worth the purchase at all because it has never left me. It is in the most beautiful ways haunted me. And it has held me accountable in difficult seasons of life. I hear the voice of God just saying, do hard things. And we're going to have one of those days today where it's a do hard things day. In, uh, gosh, year, year and a half ago almost now, uh, me and my wife decided we were going to move from Denver, Colorado to Austin, Texas. We love Denver, Colorado. Our kids were born and raised in Denver, Colorado. We had been at the same church that we helped plant for 15 years of my kid's life in Colorado. My kids had such a strong community of friends and family members and people that loved them. They loved their friends. They loved their school. I know it doesn't always work out this way for all of us, but we just were living in such a season of such blessing. Loved their friends. Loved their school. Loved their church. How many of you know when you can get kids excited and loving their church, it's a big win, right, in the family front? We just had all of that going for us, and then my my wife and I, by the prompting, we really felt prompted and led by God. We disrupted all of that prosperity and all of that ease to make a move that on paper was probably stupid and difficult, but we knew it would be incredibly disruptive for our children. And come on, parents, you know that, man. You, you hate to be the cause of any kind. Your kids are disrupted enough on their own, right? <laughs> when you're helping cause that, there's something in your mother's heart. There's something in your father's heart that you just feel this huge burden. And we knew we would be taking on that burden. And we knew, especially when we told the two teenage kids, that it would be exceptionally hard for them because of the social aspects, right? It's just hard these days to be a teenager and it it's super hard to be a teenager showing up at a new school. Any of you guys know what I'm talking about? Your parents that made the move or even you as a kid. I made the move as an eighth grader moving from California to Missouri. What a, death, what a horrible thing, right? I was living on the beach in California. We moved to Missouri. And I'm a, I'm a junior higher. It was like traumatic. And so I was already feeling the weight of this when we had to tell our kids this. And for the last year and a half, especially for the first school year, it was incredibly difficult. My kids sat alone at lunch tables for a good portion of the year. My kids weren't involved. My two older kids weren't involved at the time in any sports or any other kind of activities. They, they quit doing some of that when they moved there, and that's one of the greatest ways to, to meet people. Uh, my daughter was in, passionately in theater the whole time in Denver, and then she quit doing that when she moved there. And so it's just like they're not making friends, and we're feeling the weight of it as parents, as the father. But there was this moment, multiple moments, I should say, where I had to look, especially at my two older kids, and it was, it was hard to say, but I knew it was the right thing to say. I looked at them and I said, hey kids, I understand deeply why this is so difficult for you. 
I was in your position when I was a kid. I know what it's like to be right now, but I want to tell you something. There is more resilience in you than you know. And your mom and I are going to ask you in this next year, two years, however long it takes, we're going to ask you to do this. We're going to ask you to do hard things. And we know this is a really hard thing, but you're going to at some point in your life, just like I did when I look back in retrospect on our move from California to Missouri, there were so many incredible, growing, redeeming factors that happened on the back end of that move if I could just trust the process and if I could just embrace doing hard things. And so I've had very candid and very real talks with my older kids because it's age appropriate, just saying, listen to me, I, I, I feel the weight of what you're going through and I know you didn't ask for this. We, we put this on you. We impose this on you, but you can do hard things. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if any one of you wants to be my follower, and I have a hunch you're here today because that's what you're here for. You're interested in being his follower. Maybe, maybe you're checking this, this discipleship thing out, this Christianity thing out. Most of us in here though, You've already long made the decision. I am a follower of Christ. Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Here it is. Take up your cross and follow me. Here's what Jesus is saying in this moment. And I I want to ask you these questions. Uh, This is weird to say, but, but, but don't hear me right now. Here it is if I'm speaking on behalf of God, just asking you. And I want you to really... Not, not in a cliched kind of way, but I want you to think about this this morning. God looking at you right now and saying, hey, son, hey, daughter, that's who you are. Do you love me? Think about that for a minute. God's here right now, and he's just asking you, do you genuinely just truly love me? I think for most of us in this room, the very honest answer is absolute yes, right? Now picture God saying this, do you, my son, my daughter, do you trust me? So think about that for a minute. Do you really trust me? And again, I think most of you in this room with with deep authenticity probably say yes. Hear him saying this. Do you believe, this is a big one, do you believe that I have your best interest in mind? Don't hurry over that one too quick. Really think about it. Do you really believe this morning that God has your best interest in mind? Do you really believe that God loves you so unconditionally that he took his love for you to the point of death on a cross. Do you really believe that, right? That's the, that's the crux of our faith, right? That he went to the cross for us out of his what? For God so loved his unconditional love for us. So if your answer to any or all of those was yes, then here's what God says to us as a church this morning. He's like, okay, since we've established that, I'm going to ask you something really big. I'm going to ask you to do some really hard things on this side of eternity. There's going to be some crosses I'm going to ask you to take up and bear. And and some of them are going to be profoundly heavy for you. And they're going to feel overwhelming at times. And you may even at times on this journey drop your cross in the weight of how much It's bearing down on you and you're going to have to see that you dropped it and you're going to have to pick it back up and you're just going to have to continually following me. Now, we're walking through the Lord's Prayer and as we wrap it up this weekend, I am going to just camp on 
one statement he makes in this prayer that he tells us to pray, which is his heart, because I think it is the hardest thing that you and I will be tasked to do if we are going to be disciples, true disciples of Jesus Christ. When it comes to parents looking at their kids and saying, do hard things, to me, what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes is the, is the pinnacle of Jesus looking at us and said, if you're going to follow me, be my son, be my daughter, be my servant, I'm going to need you to do this hard thing. So let's just start by praying and quoting again the Lord's Prayer. Say this with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, here's what's interesting. We're going to camp today on forgiveness. Forgiveness. I honestly believe it's the single greatest, hardest task you and I will be asked to do on this side of eternity for the glory of God and for the advancement of his kingdom is that we, as we have had our debts forgiven, we now forgive our debtors. Now, here's what's interesting about what we just read in the Lord's Prayer. I want to put that back up because Jesus, when he gets done telling us how to pray, he only makes one statement that he follows up on it before he goes on to a new subject. And listen to what he chooses to camp on, to reiterate. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. Ready for a really hard statement? But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive you your sins. I find it incredibly interesting that after Jesus teaches them to pray and tells them what to pray and gives them a beautiful model for prayer of all of the things. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us today our daily bread. He goes on to, uh, after the forgiveness part says, deliver us from temptation, deliver us from the evil one, help us in our temptation, deliver us from the evil one. Of all of the things that he chooses to follow up on, he talks about what? Forgiveness. This is how big it is. There is no, I wrote this in my notes because I believe it with deep conviction, not because of something I read or studied or or, or heard about, because I've experienced. There is no higher, no sweeter, and no more profound expression of your faith in God than when you forgive someone. It It is the pinnacle of kingdom behavior on display for the world to see. It is everything that keeps the kingdom of God running, which is his mercy and his forgiveness. So when you are walking in a holy braveness, when you say, God, I don't get this, I don't even necessarily like this, I'm scared to do this, but by your grace, strength, and mercy, I am going to be a person of forgiveness. God, as a father, looks at you with no more potential pride than he could ever have than when you are saying, God, I'm scared to death, I don't even know how this is going to turn out, but I believe because of what your son modeled for us at the highest level, I am going to walk in, I'm going to Take the weight of the cross of forgiveness. I'm going to look at that perpetrator in my life. I'm going to look at that person in my life that deeply traumatized or hurt me or wounded me. Or I'm going to look at that people group or I'm going to look at that big issue. And I am by your grace, God, going to forgive because there is no higher, no sweeter, more profound act of faith in the entire universe than when we choose to be forgivers. But can we have an honest moment in church? Can we talk real? It's hard. Can I get an amen? Amen. 
It is hard, but here's the really good news. That's bad news. It's hard. Here's the really good news, though. Jesus fully understands how hard it is. He, if he was sitting here listening to his son preach this morning, and I said it's hard, you would hear him say amen. Probably louder than all of us. He gets it. Let's go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, the, 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 the night before he would be betrayed and ultimately experience Roman crucifixion. What's he go to do? This is the power. This is why we've spent a, a, a whole month praying and talking about the power of prayer. Of all the things Jesus felt necessary to do right before his impending death by crucifixion. He's like, we got to go pray. This is how fundamental and essential prayer is to walking in the purpose and the fullness of it that God has for you. We got to go pray. So he goes to what's called the Garden of Gethsemane and he starts to pray. And I am so touched and blessed by this moment. The more I read it, the older I get, the more I experience the chaos of humanity, the more this blesses me because Jesus we know is fully God when he's on earth. But we sometimes forget that he was also fully man. And his being fully man in the flesh is on full display in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember what he says when he, he knows that he's about to bear the sins of the world? He's not about to forgive just one person that, that, that hurt him or wounded him. He's literally, and I know our minds can't even, we don't even have space in our, our limited minds to wrap our heads around this. This is why we got to constantly keep it in front of us and talk about it. He's literally in one moment going to put the weight of trillions upon trillions upon trillions. I'm not exaggerating numerically either. Trillions of sins on his back to bring redemption back to his fallen people. Listen, Roman crucifixion just by itself would, would sharpen my prayer life real big if I knew that was coming my way. Just the physical punishment alone, right? But you got to remember, this wasn't something new to Jesus. There had been, at this point, thousands of people before Jesus that had been crucified on the streets of Rome. Other people had went through some of the scourging Jesus had went through. I got to tell you, when he's in the garden ultimately praying for God to, like, get him out of this, he's really talking and praying for the grace to forgive of course it's going to hurt. Of course the pain is going to be overwhelming physically. But I think when Jesus understands spiritually what he's doing, that gets put on the back burner. And he's in the garden and he says, when it comes to forgiveness, what I think often is the first step in us in forgiveness, which is this. He goes, remember what he prays? Is there any other way? <laughs> is there any other way? It Doesn't it make you feel better? In your process of forgiving, because we're going to see today, it's an incredible process. It's, yes, it's a one-time decision, but then it is a lifelong process to forgive someone that has deeply hurt you. And it usually starts with this. There's got to be a better way than this. This feels so scary. This makes no sense on paper. This is probably just going to enable and empower that perpetrator to just double down on that kind of behavior and do it to me again or do it to a bunch of other people again. Why in the world, God, would you set up a system where the chief expression of faith in your kingdom is forgiveness, God? This is a dangerous proposition. Jesus, fully man, understands this and he fills this and he's like, God, is there any other way? But what's Jesus doing? Here's the power of prayer. Here's why we've been talking about prayer for a month because prayer will always lead you to what Jesus says next. It's one word and in prayer, it's a powerful word. It's the word nevertheless. Not my will. 
Jesus was indicating my will is not to go to the cross. It's to go a different direction. My will is to do it a different way right now as I'm feeling the weight of what I'm about to do. But nevertheless, God, this is the power of prayer. Your will be done, not mine. And he would go on to his impending death. So I just want to start when we're talking about doing hard things, you need to understand that God doesn't condescend to you when he asks us to forgive. God is not up there indifferent to how hard it is to forgive. Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrews, we have a high priest who's able to sympathize with us because he has been tempted in every way that we were, yet is without sin, so we can approach him to receive grace. Grace is power to receive mercy. Mercy is help in our time of need, right? Jesus understands what it's like to do something as hard as forgive. He understands the internal battle you and I have when, you know, forgiveness is beautiful when you tell stories of other people doing it. Forgiveness is beautiful when you see it being expressed in the lives of others, but as soon as you get hurt, as soon as you get cheated on, as soon as that best friend betrays you, as soon as that employer unjustly fires you or lets you go, as soon as you get stolen from, when you as a kid had to endure that abuse, Man, it's like it takes, on a, it takes on a whole new level of difficulty, right? But you got to understand, God doesn't condescend to your situation at all. He goes, I know it's hard, and we can talk about this. You can even fight it for a while. Jesus did. Even when you're fighting, some of you walked in here today, and I know because I've been there, you're fighting forgiving someone because of how deeply they have wounded you and hurt you. And you've got these massive walls around you and you mean well with those walls you're just trying to protect yourself and God's like I get it he's like but listen to me son listen to me daughter at some point I need you to trust me and we've got to break down these walls because while you think you're protecting yourself you're actually enclosing yourself off to so much of the fullness of life that you could be experiencing if you can trust me child to do this hard thing Speaking of hard things, listen to the teachings on forgiveness. When you read the teachings on forgiveness in the Gospels, man, Jesus doesn't mix words. This is a hard teaching. Let's read it. This is Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. You guys cool with me uh, reading a longer passage of Scripture? And you guys have already known if you've been here very long, I'm a really bad reader, so I'm going to ask for some grace. Plus, I have typos in here. But this is how it starts in Matthew 18. Then Peter came to Jesus. I love Pete. He's literally one of my favorites. I love him. He comes to Jesus. He's in total teacher pet mode. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother? I picture him looking back at the disciples, winking after he says that. Like, watch this. This is going to be awesome. How many times should I forgive my brother uh, or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Who? Right? Like, look at that. Teacher's pet. Like, wow. Because here's the deal. In the Jewish law, literally in the Jewish law, this is written in their law, it was three strikes, you're out. You forgive someone for an offense three times. After the third time, they're done. It's no longer forgivable. This was literally written in to their law and their Torah. This was sacred to them. To them, three times was like this unbelievable act of mercy. But like the fourth time, now you're just enabling And God doesn't want that either, right? So he goes, I'm not only, I'm going to double it and add one. Watch this, fellas, right? 
Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. <laughs> Record scratch. Peter going, don't. <laughs> They're like, why didn't you ask? We had three. Now it's at 77. Stop talking, Peter. Right? 77 times, and then Jesus tries to flesh it out for him. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began, I have typos in here, so I'm going to have to read from there. As he began the settlement, listen to this, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Most of your Bibles will say 10,000 talents. Some theologians already did the work for us in our Bibles, and that comes out to back then 20 years worth of wages. So imagine what you make, imagine your salary, and imagine now you had to, in the moment, give somebody 20 years of your salary somehow, some way, in order to pay back a debt you owe. That's 10,000 bags of gold. Remember that. It says, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. He, I mean, he's going to have to sell his whole family off to repay this debt. Think about that. Next slide. It says this. At this, the servant, as you and I would have, fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now listen to this. This is the heart of God. The servant's master took pity on him and didn't say, take all the time you need. Just make sure you pay me back. You know what he does instead? He does what Jesus does for us. He completely canceled the debt and let him go. This is Jesus giving a picture of how amazing grace is, how beautiful our salvation is. He canceled the debt and let him go. Next slide. But when that servant went out, man, this is us crazy humans right here. When the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, not five minutes later, I added that, who owed him, ready for this, not 10,000 bags of gold, 100 silver coins. Your Bibles will call that denarii. One day's wages. That servant owed, so he owed 20 years worth of salary. This servant owes one day worth of salary. Listen to what he does, not five minutes after he's been forgiven from something overwhelming as 20 years of salary. He grabbed him, began to choke him, Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Next slide. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, said the same words he said to his master not five minutes ago. Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Right? You owe me a debt. You, you, you took something from me and you've never paid it back. You, you, this is what people that perpetrate against you, this is what people that hurt you, people that traumatize you, people that wrong you, they've taken something from you, right? And you want it back. And what we do with unforgiveness, I get why we do it. Jesus gets why we do it. But look at the irony here. He throws them into prison. This is what we think we do when we're, when we're, unfor when we're not forgiving people that have hurt us. We think we're putting them in prison. We're taking justice into our own hands, which is always a deadly proposition for humans to try and litigate justice, right? Justice is for God and God alone. So when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master, this is God represented here, called the servant in. Listen to this. Talk about hard teachings. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Next slide, please. 
Shouldn't you have had mercy, there's the word, mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should be paid back, till he should pay back all he owed. And I'm not going to give you a bunch of balancing statements and answers as to make that teaching a little more kinder. We're just going to sit in it. If we're going to sit in all the beautiful things Jesus says, and I love those sermons. I love, I get fired up preaching the sermons about all the good promises and beautiful promises. And hard, but we also have a responsibility as disciples. Let's just sit in that for a minute. That's hard. And you know what I took from this was, guess who was the one who ended up in jail? Not the perpetrator. The one who wouldn't forgive the perpetrator. He, he's the one in the end who ends up in, in jail. And this is where lovingly I feel God saying to us, listen, I understand why you would want to take it upon yourself to make someone who's hurt you pay. We don't have to lie. We can be honest. That just makes sense. In fact, that's how our world's fallen system does things, right? But what God is trying to show us is in our unforgiveness without even fully recognizing, in our attempt to bring justice to a situation that was reserved for God's justice and God's justice alone, what you end up doing is finding yourself over time being imprisoned. Not the person you wanted to hurt because they hurt you. You get imprisoned with bitterness, anger, right? I mean, the root of bitterness grows some of the nastiest weeds in the human heart there is. There's no freedom in life. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life to the fullest. You're, you're pushing against the full life he came to redeem back to you when you are sitting in a constant state of unforgiveness. And Jesus says, listen, if you're ever going to be able to forgive someone, and I know how hard it is, I'm trying to speak this tenderly for a city. I really am trying to speak this tenderly because I feel that from the heart of God. But it's like, if you're really going to be free, you're going to have to do something really hard. You're going to have to forgive people that have hurt you most. And one of the ways you're going to have to do it is you're going to have to reflect on constantly. It's one of the reasons we take communion so often. As often as you do this, remember, we remember the cross, the shed blood, the broken body. Do you know why we do that continually over and over and over? It's to remind ourselves of the debt in our own lives that has been canceled. Because there is going to come a time in this place, and most of us in here, we've already known. Some of you are sitting in it. I'm sitting in it right now. You need to forgive someone, and you are so battling with it and wrestling with it because they hurt you so bad, and that wound is still so fresh, and you're still so disappointed and angry and hurt at them. And it makes no sense intellectually. It makes no sense on paper to forgive them, and Jesus is going, no, 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 no. You've got to forgive them. You have to get to that place. You have to sit in the magnitude of the tension of the own sins that have been forgiven from you in order to forgive other people. Here's another thing I'm doing right now. So when I say this next thing, this to me will be the hardest of everything I think he asks of us when it comes to this process of forgiveness. But can I just tell you, and I can't go into details because it's private, just like some of you couldn't tell us your full stories either. But in, in, in some forgiveness stuff that I'm going through right now, I am committing to what I'm about to tell you. And I, I can tell you with integrity, I'm doing my best and it's really hard. And some days I really fail at it. But what I'm going to ask us to try and do as forgivers 
is what we see Jesus doing. And th- th- this one's hard. And, and what I'm going to ask us to do is in your process of forgiving, at some point you have to be courageous enough to get past the what of what they did and go to the why. <laughs> it's quiet in here. <laughs> it's quiet here. But we got to have these days, right? Because it, we're just reading from the teachings of Jesus. You got to get past it some point. And I don't think God expects us to be able to even remotely do that right away when it's fresh and when it's new and when you're still reeling from how someone has hurt you and there's deep wounds and there's deep trauma there. I think there's a, a, such a beautiful, gracious time period for forgiveness. But at some point to really be able to continually move forward in your process of healing and forgiveness is you have to get past what they did to you and you have to start trying to figure out why. And I know what you're thinking, but if I, start to, if, I, if I start to say why maybe they did it and I start to think back about their story and their upbringing, their situation and their context, and I might start to have some compassion for why they did it. And I can't have compassion for why they did it because what they did to me was so wrong and it hurt me and it hurt my family and it cost us and it cost me. But I'm telling you on the other side of the why is more and more freedom. I'm starting to taste some. But this will be the hardest thing you do. Let me give you the best example I can because you don't need my opinion or some teaching on forgiveness from me. This is from our, our, our master, our Lord. He's on the cross. He's been beaten within an inch of his life. 39 lashes from the cat of nine tails. The Bible told us, right, that his organs and his skin and his bones were exposed. You could literally, because so much skin was missing from those whippings, you could literally see like his rib cage and you could see organs and you could see probably uh, things. And I know this is graphic, but this is, this is what happened. And not only is he getting beat within an inch of his life, as he's walking past carrying his cross to ultimately go to his crucifixion, he's being spit on by people he spoke into existence. The saliva they used to spit on him was only possible because he spoke it into existence. And now they're using it to mock him. Think about that. The soldiers kept jokingly and mockingly calling him the king of the Jews. So they put on a crown of thorns on his head. Starts bleeding now from his head too. Then they start gambling for his clothes, just continual mockery and indifference that they're about to pierce to his death, the creator of the universe. And Jesus does something that offends my flesh so greatly. Every time I read this still, even though I think I know what God's up to in this moment, I still get bothered by it. And I think you should too. But we have to think about the implications of what he does next. At some point when they finally get him up that mountain and they put him on that cross fully, He's got nine inch nails pierced between his hands and through his feet. He looks down at the soldiers who were in charge of making this whole procession happen, leading him literally to his death while mocking him and letting everybody else mock him. He looks at those soldiers who bear his image, hard to think of, right? But let's call it what it, who bear his image. And he says something that just bothers me. Talk about doing hard things. How hard must have this been for Jesus to say this and mean it? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You know what my first thought is? They absolutely knew what they did. Kidding me? That was calculated. 
That was precise. Rome has a literal playbook on how to do this. And I think with Jesus, because of the magnitude of, of how many people were following him now, they just amped up the procession, the festivities. They just, they just did a 2.0 crucifixion where they let it last longer and they let the games go on longer, right, for Jesus. And Jesus in that moment says something to me that is so audacious. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And you go, they know exactly what they're doing. But then I hear the voice of God going, but they didn't really know what they were doing. But they totally knew what they were doing, technically. And Jesus has this ability to look past what they were doing and go, but yeah, you don't understand. They really don't fully know what they're doing. Trust me. There's a why behind the what. And I, I, I'm, I'm spitballing here. But there was generations before them of their fathers, their grandfathers, who would have probably been in the same occupation. They literally thought they were doing something patriotic. Another crucifixion, but this one, this guy's pretty popular, so this is going to be a fun one today. They literally thought they're just guarding the, the, the desires of Rome in that moment, right? And protecting Rome, which to them, they grew up from birth being taught, this is as noble as it gets. You protect your country. You protect what we've built here. Nobody comes against us. So, so, so they end up in, 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 in hopes of being patriotic are actually crucifying the savior of the world, the one who spoke them into existence. And Jesus knows even in real time, while he's the one being offended against so greatly, he knows enough that behind that horrific what, there is a why that is worth considering. And don't you even feel the tension? I feel it as I'm up here talking. You think it's hard to listen to this. You should try talking. <laughs> I, I'd love way rather be sitting out there listening to it right now. But this is why I say this with confidence to you guys. And I don't apologize for this teaching today is because I believe with every ounce of conviction I possess that on the other end, of this really, 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 really hard ask is freedom. And I got into the business of being a preacher of the word of God because I am addicted to seeing freedom in people's lives. I can't get enough of it. I live for it. When we pray for it on the screens, when we hear testimonies of where people actually achieved more and more freedom through Christ, I just get amped. I get up. It's why I want to get on a plane again. And plane, it's awful to fly these days. And I don't care. I get on planes again and I go wherever anyone will have me and I get to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I do it with passion, right? Front row, I spit on you guys while I'm talking because I'm excited. And on the other side of all of this hard, hard, hard stuff, is freedom, right? And we Americans, we love this phrase. So I'll just, I'll, I'll go where our sweet spot is. Freedom is never what? Free, right? We love that. So let's remember that on the front end of freedom is really, really hard things. I think the writer of Hebrews said it best for the joy set before Jesus, future joy, he what? He endured the cross, scorning its shame. And now sits down at the right hand of the throne of God and the earth is now his footstool. There is a degree of authority and power and freedom that came to him because of a cross that was unfairly given to him. And I'm just asking you to pray for grace today, to have that kind of mindset. 
I don't know how else to do it than the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit we honored and sang to, giving us new eyes to see, new hearts to think, new minds to see things different ways. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us. I want freedom for some of you in here right now. And if you're like me, you deeply need to forgive someone and you are scared to death. You've put up walls. I get it. Been there, done that. We'll do it again probably. You've put up boundaries. Can I, can I tell you something awesome about forgiveness? Forgiveness is a boundary. See, the, the misconception is if I, if, I, if, I, if I forgive, then I gotta throw off these boundary walls that have, I thought kept me safe. But can I tell you, there's no greater boundary than forgiveness because what you're doing is you're putting a boundary around your heart and saying bitterness you don't get to live here anymore can I tell you something about the person that has offended you or the people that have offended you and why forgiveness is such a sweet boundary is because when you choose by God's grace and help to forgive them they start to take up less and less space that they never deserve to have in your heart and in your mind don't act like we don't sit around all the time and get consumed with our offenders Think about what they did, how wrong they were, waiting around, hoping for them to get paid back, waiting around, trying to reiterate how, you know, that they're the villains in our lives. I'm telling you, there is no greater boundary for the person that hurt you than for them not to rent space in your heart and mind anymore. Not one more second. You understand that? And Jesus is trying with some really difficult language and imagery to say, you got to trust me here, son. You gotta trust me here, daughter. You can do hard things because on the other side of that is freedom. And it is for freedom that Christ set us free. So I'm just gonna pray. We're gonna end praying the Lord's Prayer together, but I wanna pray for everyone in this room this morning. You're hearing my words and you're feeling a bit triggered. You're feeling a bit anxious. You might feel confused, scared, because your spirit is saying, I think this is right. But everything else in your world, your intellect even is going, I can't do it. I can't do it. Listen to me. Breathe. God understands. Healing, excuse me, forgiveness is like salvation. I believe it happens in a moment of a decision. But then I also believe salvation happens every day after that. You are saved in a moment of belief. Then you walk into that salvation for the rest of your life. Right? That's what forgiveness is. It's a, you make that decision and then there's a good chance an hour later, it, you won't feel forgiven at all. You won't feel like you're forgiven at all. You'll, those same emotions will come around. Those same feelings of anger. That doesn't mean you didn't forgive them. That doesn't mean it wasn't real. It means you're starting to heal. You still get to have the emotions. You don't fake our way through forgiveness. Jesus didn't. God, is there any other way? You're going to have those days. Have those days. But I'm telling you, it's his grace that will get you to, but nevertheless, God, not my will, but your will be done. More and more healing. More and more healing. More and more healing. You don't have to become best friends with your perpetrator. You don't have to keep them in your life. by God's grace, you say, I forgive them. And then here's what I'm trying to learn as well. Their response to my forgiveness is none of my business. That's a hard thing too. 
their response to my forgiveness is none of my business because my business is freedom for me and my family. And I'm going to forgive. How many of you need the grace for that today? You just say, I need the mercy for that today. I want to be that person, but it's hard. Can I just speak on behalf of God? He's like, I get it and I love you. I'm just glad you're here today. I'm glad you raised your hand. I'm glad you were honest. You watch the power and the mercy that he's going to have for you as you continue on in this journey. For some of you that you're in a sweet spot right now and you say, this really doesn't apply to me. Will you just keep this one in your back pocket? Because we know how humans are, right? (laughs) We know how humans are. We We all have moments where we get deeply hurt. And I've had moments on the other end where I've deeply hurt people and been at the mercy of their forgiveness. And the kingdom of God is at its finest and most beautiful. Heaven coming back to earth is predicated upon Jesus' followers being willing to forgive radically. We can do hard things, y'all. So Jesus, for every person that raised their hand in here, for every person that's hurting because of how they've been hurt, for every person that is angry, I get it, God, you get it, but would you calm their nerves today? Would you calm their heart? Would the power of your spirit living in them be stronger than the flesh that still dwells in us? Would you give them a message of grace today? Would you tell them that you are with them and for them? And God, would you let them know in their process of forgiving how proud you are of them? For everyone in here that's genuinely wanting and trying to forgive right now, may they be at peace knowing how proud their father is of them. Hope you feel that today, church, because I feel it. God is proud of you. You're doing a hard thing as his kid something you didn't ask for, something you wouldn't wish on anyone else, and you are doing it right now. And God is proud of you. So Jesus, we ask for grace and mercy as we walk out of these doors until we meet again. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together one more time. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Forest City, I'm going to have so many laughs and jokes next time I preach to counterbalance today. But this is what was right for today. And you guys sat through it with such kindness and grace. And I never take that for granted. So can as you leaving, can you just know until I come back again in a couple weeks how much I love you and how much I appreciate this place. God bless you guys.